What kind of interesting results have you seen from either bioregular peptides or just other peptides? We've seen people with crazy autoimmune issues just help to stabilize their immune systems, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and just be able to live a normal life. I mean, there's one woman in our community, she had a spinal leak because of a medical error. And so, you know, so she was essentially horizontal for two years. And she was able to restore her mobility and reclaim her life Hmm. by using GHK and thymosin beta-4, and I think a couple of other peptides. Welcome to the Dr. Joy Kong podcast. This is where I have a chance to share with you some of the latest developments in the space of holistic health, longevity, and wellness. I have always honored intellectual curiosity and scientific rigor combined with real world practicality. My goal is that what you learn here will help you live longer and live better. Hope you enjoy the journey with me. Okay, well, welcome everybody. I am so excited to be speaking to Natalie Nidham. I've been listening to Natalie for, for quite some time. Natalie, I scoured your channel and uh, listen to almost all your podcasts, you know, you're, you know, lively host and um, a lot of very valuable information and peptides are getting hotter and hotter. Um, a lot of people may still not know enough. So we still have to have to explain to people, well, peptides are these short amino acid sequences and that that's naturally existing in your body. So correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding is that there are about 300,000 different types of peptides floating around in the body. And we've, we've identified about 7,000. Yeah. Like I would not be surprised at that number at all. The 7,000 identified, definitely. I've heard that number tossed around and, you know, it's one of those things with the human body. We don't know what we don't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Before I jump in, I want to introduce Natalie. (laughs) (laughs) So Natalie is a holistic nutritionist, a human potential coach and epigenetic coach who is immersed in the world of health optimization and longevity. And a few years ago, she stumbled upon peptides and bioregulator peptides at a health optimization conference and has been immersed in the study and application of these uh, peptides as health optimization and longevity tool ever since. So Natalie runs a large and growing biohacking community on Facebook uh, it's called the Optimizing Superhuman Performance Group, and it's the host of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast, and she speaks at health conferences on longevity and, and bioregulator peptides. So um, at today, Natalie's biological age is 14 years younger than her chron- chronological age, and this is wonderful, and including uh, telomere matching. Uh, that's someone uh, matching somebody that's 22 years younger. So her goal is to keep that clock moving back and to make sure that people learn this is possible for them as well, if they're willing to take charge of their health. So I can't wait to hear you sharing your wisdom. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. This is going to be an exciting uh, discussion. So, so I know you've been talking about peptides a lot, and then you said you're very passionate about bioregulators. So I'm sure most people don't know what bioregulators are. So maybe you can enlighten everybody. For sure. Well, you know, as you opened up, peptides are these short, short proteins, really. They're peptides are 50 amino acids or short or less um, and naturally occurring in the body. But, you know, we've been isolating them now for a while. Bioregulator peptides redefine short. 
<laughs> Bioregulator peptides are at most four amino acids long and as little as two amino acids. So they are the tiniest of tiny peptides. And they're peptide chains that are also naturally occurring in the human body and have a very, very incredible way of what they are, are epigenetic switches. And what that means is that they are so tiny and they carry that perfect polar charge that allows them to travel across the cellular membrane, travel across the nuclear membrane so that now they're in the nucleus of the cell. And what we find in the nucleus of the cell, a little bit of biology class guys here, sorry, is your DNA. And that DNA is in charge of manufacturing proteins that your body needs to function. And what the bioregulator peptide does is it finds its binding site on that DNA helix and upregulates the production of specific proteins. And what those proteins are is they are proteins to regenerate and restore function to that tissue gland or organ. So they're pretty fascinating. It's amazing to even think that there's something out there that can help that and from nature of all places um, that can actually help our bodies to regenerate and restore themselves from within. And so these bioregulator peptides were first isolated by a gentleman or a, a researcher, medical doctor in Russia. His name is Vladimir Kavinson. And Professor Dr. Kavinson has done over 40 years of research on the bioregulator peptides, isolating them, studying them, and running clinical trials on humans. And I mean, I'm sure he started with animals and then moved on to humans. So he's got a ton of really interesting data on how these peptides can restore health and can really restore balance to the body. So mm. it's an interesting thing. And it's a little bit different than the typical peptides we talk about in the sense that the bioregulators always are modulating function. So you can use a thyroid bioregulator, for example, on with someone who is either hyper or hypothyroid. And they're, it's what it's going to try and do is bring that thyroid back into balance. Hmm. They're quite unique that way. Yeah, beautiful. So does that mean as long as the amino acid sequences are less than four that make them bioregulators? Not exactly. So you've got peptides like KPV or GHK. And, you know, it could be semantics at this point because GHK was discovered by Dr. Lauren Pickard in 1973. I've heard rumor that said that Kavinson said, oh, if I would have discovered that, it would have been a bioregulator. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's hard to know. And then you get like KPV is another one. It's not particularly a bioregulator. It's just a fragment of melanotan, of that alpha MSH peptide that that is antimicrobial. So the the bioregulator peptides have like their their quality is that they specifically act on DNA. They don't, they don't, it's not like a BPC-157 that's going to bind to a receptor on the cell and initiate a cascade, right? So, which isn't to say that the longer chain peptides don't sometimes impact gen genetic expression because they do. And GHK is a perfect example of that. Like GHK, that copper peptide is a peptide that can influence over a thousand genes, right? It's 
It's like you can imagine it flipping genes on and off, up and down the mm-hmm. genome, going, you need to be up, you need to be down kind of thing. <laughs> um, like it's it's incredibly, I don't think we still know a lot of what GHK is capable of, but already what we know is pretty impressive. Um, but for the bioregulators, they're much more specific. And so, for example, you have there's about 26 bioregulators that are commonly known and understood. Although today I was speaking to someone who works with Professor Kevinson. He apparently has a library of 52 bioregulators that he's identified. But we have access to about 26 of them, and they are specific to tissues, glands, and organs. So for so what that means is we have a bioregulator that acts on the pineal gland, which is that tiny little pine-shaped gland in your brain that regulates your circadian rhythm. It regulates melatonin production. It also um, is really has kind of like a very interesting regulatory effect on the entire endocrine system, which is your hormones. And then also its big superpower is that it can activate telomerase, which will would help to restore and preserve the length of your telomeres on the end of your DNA. So it's called epitalon or epitalon. It actually has many other names because there are different forms of bioregulators we can talk about. Um, but epitalon would be the, the one bioregulator. If you've heard of one, it's that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. And then, and then we have other ones. We have one for the adrenal glands, for the thyroid, for the ovaries, for the testes, the prostate, the heart, the blood vessels, the lungs, the pancreas, the liver, the kidneys. Um, what am I forgetting? Oh, the brain, the central nervous system. It's, you know, so you have these specific bioregulators for every one of those organs. So how powerful are they when they're actually used for somebody with, let's say, brain disease or heart disease? Um, Okay, I give them some bioregulator that's specific for that organ. How effective are they at helping these people? That's a really good question. And I would say that in the literature that I've seen in like out of the studies that have been done in Russia, very often they're going to be used alongside other conventional therapies. So what they what they talk about is they will improve outcomes. So the thing with the bioregulator, it's not like you're going to pop a bioregulator and all of a sudden you're going to be Wolverine and you're just going to grow new body parts kind of thing. It's it's a little more complicated than that. I think that what's and I love that question because ultimately the impact that a bioregulator is going to have on helping the system come back into balance or to heal is going to have a lot to do with everything else that you're doing to help that body to heal and how far out of balance the system is, right? Mm -hmm. So in a situation of advanced heart disease, for example, you're going to want to be bringing into play all of the other strategies that you have at hand to help to um, you know, you're going to want to change a person's diet. You're going to want to use certain, you might have to use certain medications to help that person function. But at the same time, you know, if we can get the all these other pieces in place, and now we can start to bring in a bioregulator that might start to signal the body to kind of do some repair work, it will be, it would be interesting to see. And I, you know, if you start digging through PubMed, you're going to come up with all kinds of papers and we may not see Joy for a little while because she'll be in there down the rabbit mm-hmm. hole with the rest of us. <laughs> and you'll be able to see that, you know, there's some really interesting studies. Like for the, for example, I think for the lung bioregulator, they did some studies with people with COPD and the people that were given the lung bioregulator 
in conjunction with the other treatments actually had a far better outcome than the people who only got the drugs, right? So it's not that we throw away drugs and allopathic medicine completely, absolutely not. It's just that this now becomes another piece that's not just trying to address the symptom, but as we're addressing the symptom and bringing the body what it needs to restore itself, is there a possibility to signal the body to start doing some repair work from from inside? Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yeah, that sounds, you know, fantastic. I, you know, these organ specific, you know, uh, peptides or or bioregulator peptides. I mean, but but where do you get them? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where do I go? Where do I shop? <laughs> got my credit let's card. Go, where do I go? Let's go to the bottom line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's so explain to me. So let's talk a little bit about where they come from, right? So they were originally um isolated from animal tissue. Okay. So there's different forms of bioregulators and there's basically there are three different versions of bioregulators. The first one, and the one that is the most easily accessed, is actually classified as a nutritional supplement. Mm. And these are capsules, and they are extracts from those tissues, glands, and organs. Which one was it? So so that is when we use the word, so endolutin, that's Mm. that one of the three names of epitalon. Endolutin is the name of that bioregulator that is encapsulated. And where I get all of my bioregulators is a place called um, online called Profound Health. So mm-hmm. I, I can give you the website. It's profound-health.com. And we can put this in the show notes. And and um, I actually have a code people can use to get a discount if they want. But the they what they work very closely with, with Dr. Kevinson. Mm. And a lot of the bioregulators, well, most of the bioregulators on the market are in white boxes, you know, and they've got their Russian names like Glandocort and, you know, Stomacort and all these Russian names, which are really hard to understand and hard to tell what's what kind of thing. So what uh, Profound Health did is with an agreement with Dr. Kevinson, they've repackaged the bioregulators and rebranded them under a brand called Nature's Marvels. Hmm. And it says on the box, pineal bioregulator, heart bioregulator, lung bioregulator. So it's the exact same stuff that's in the Russian box, just in nice, easy English. So when they say heart bioregulators, it's a group of regulators that's- So it's just one. So what's happened is that, so no, so in the extract, you probably have some cofactors as well. It's a little bit like, you know, the best, I think the best analogy for this is when you think of glandulars, like glandular supplements, Mm -hmm. part of the glandular supplement's strength probably is that there is bioregulator peptide in there. Mm, maybe right? like cerebral lysin. Exactly. But- or like, or desiccated thyroid, for example. Right. right? So you're going to have, you're most likely having some of that thyroid bioregulator in there. Plus you have cofactors and you've got your T3, your T, like, you know, you've got all the other stuff mixed in. And so the nutritional supplement, which is that extract has that advantage that it has both the amino acid sequence, that's the money piece, plus it's got all the cofactors. The Mm -hmm. other version of bioregulators that is the second most commonly used and found are what we would call synthetic bioregulators. So this is where they've actually isolated that two to four amino acid chain and have been able to resynthesize it in a lab. 
And that that form of the bioregulator can be administered either by subcutaneous injection or increasingly we're finding sublingual sprays or drops. Some There's a couple of companies working on transdermal delivery as well. So because, again, because they're so tiny, they can cross membranes. They can get in places that nowhere else can, right? Yeah, you know, I, I know some people are afraid of glandular extracts or animal extracts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, do you think that type of fear is founded? It's it's actually reasonable or is that just, you know, over, <laughs> over yeah. something? Well, that's... what are they afraid of? Um, let's say cerebral lysin. And, and I've encountered patients who said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm what's in it? You know, what's pig's brain? Okay. Um, you know, what could the, you know, how can we make sure that it's completely- There's no prions and stuff like that. Yeah. So, So, oh, look, I mean, in the case of cerebrolysin, I think that they go through extensive testing to make sure that whatever they're using is clean. Um, In the case of the bioregulators, again, they are, I think the process is extremely sophisticated and- you know, if you last time I heard Kevinson speak, he was like, you know, we've treated millions of people and nobody's ever had an adverse reaction mm-hmm. ever. Right. Yeah. Um, right. So I think that the process that they use on the so this is on the nutritional one, which is which is the actual extract from the tissue mm-hmm. gland and organ. When you get to the synthesized bioregulator, there's no issues because it's synthetic. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The third version, which we don't get here. We don't, you wouldn't find it really outside of Russia as far as I can, as I, as far as I've seen. I mean, I think that, I think I know someone who's brought in a little bit on occasion for doctors, but it's very hard to get into the country because now what we're doing, what they've done is they've taken that, that extract from the tissue gland and organ, and they've created a, a, a an injectable form that, that is injected intramuscularly. Mm-hmm. And that would be. I would think that I would say that in Russia, that would be what they would use as a first intervention. Let's say if someone has a stroke or they have like a very serious medical condition, because that would be the most fast acting, most powerful form of the bioregulator. The synthetic form is the next uh, synthetics. Those are very fast acting, but they tend to be, they don't, the, the, the effects don't last quite as long. The, the oral ones, they're not as fast acting, but they once they kick in, mm. the effects last a lot longer. And it kind of makes sense, right? Because mm. you've got on the synthetic side, you're just flipping a switch. On the on the biological side, you've got this flip switch flipper, but you also have all the other cofactors that are maybe helping in other ways um, the system. Right. So I, I assume even though you love bioregulators, you still love all the other peptides, right? You definitely use them differently and for different reasons. From a longevity perspective, mm-hmm. I lean towards the bioregulators. Um, but, you know, if somebody's going to come to me and say, look, Nat, I, you know, I strained a muscle or I've hurt my back or I've got this problem like a musculoskeletal or my gut is a mess kind of thing. I'm going to, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to look to the muscle bioregulator to fix that. I'm Mm -hmm. going to look towards, you know, something like a BPC-157 and the thymus and beta-4. Like you're going to move towards those peptides that have more of an immediate kind of signaling effect for the body to prepare. Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes sense. So they kind of have, you're kind of using them in different ways and, and they're for different purposes. 
Yeah. So I'm curious about, you know, using any of these, you know, either bioregulated peptides or just other peptides. Um, there can still be potential side effects, right? Yeah. So I would say more so on the other peptides than the bioregulators. The mm. only things I've seen happen on bioregulators on occasion is, um, and, and it's kind of interesting is, for example, I've seen women who are postmenopausal, they'll use endolutin, like the, the epitalon, and mm. sometimes they'll get a little bit of breakthrough bleeding. Hmm which you could call a side effect, right? But that's the closest thing I've seen to a side effect. Um, sometimes it's, if people are very sensitive, they it may be too much for them at first. Definitely with Epitalon, like people see that their sleep gets better, their sleep cycling improves, their deep sleep improves. Mm -hmm. On the BPC-157, thymosin beta-4, CJC epimorelin, that side of the world, mm -hmm. I see a lot more side effects. I see, and still not that many by comparison, but- I will see people like BPC-157. There's actually now a Facebook group of people who have a really negative reaction to it um, mm. in that it, it drives their anxiety. Wow. Okay. Which is weird, right? Because what we're taught is that BPC-157 balances the dopaminergic, serotonergic, and GABAergic centers in the brain. And yet for this little population of people, it does anything but. It makes them mm. nutty. So I'd like to understand why, because these are naturally occurring peptides. And supposedly when we were little, uh, we had a huge amount of all these peptides, right? And then the amount wanes as we grow older, I assume is the, um, you know, the usual degenerative, you know, um, uh, just the human condition, but also maybe the impairment in our gut um, that we're not absorbing enough of this essential amino acids to make these various peptides that that's what I'm assuming. What are your thoughts? Why, why they drastically decline as we age? Ah, yeah, that's a really good question. I don't, I don't know. Well, I mean, so for example, if we look at CJC one, two, nine, five, which is a growth hormone secretagogue, right. Or epimorelin. So these are both peptides that stimulate the brain to make more growth hormone. Mm -hmm. So they're not replacing growth hormone. So we know that we make less growth hormone as we age, mm -hmm. either number one, because we're older <laughs> and number two, because maybe we're not sleeping as well, or there's more stress. There's, you know, you, you stop making growth hormone for any number of reasons. Maybe you're not exercising enough or, you know, there's ways to naturally increase our growth hormone, but there's a, the reality is we have lifestyles that overwhelm our bodies. Mm -hmm. And our right. And so I think that in, in the case of the CJC epimorelin, it's not that you stop making CJC and epimorelin, it's that your growth hormone levels drop. And so this is these are a way to stimulate the body's production of growth hormone. For BPC 157, I don't know. I, I actually don't know the answer to your question. All I know is that we have the ability to reintroduce it at therapeutic doses to kind of kickstart those processes again. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Thymosin beta-4, it's a thymus peptide. Our thymus gland involutes as we age. So maybe we're just not producing as many of those thymus peptides. And so, you know, you're fine if you're healthy, but as soon as you have a, a challenge, you don't have those reserves anymore. And so yeah. by introducing yeah. the peptide, we, we give the body that, that boost and that signal to do what it once knew how to do on its own. 
Yeah. And of course the side effect profile is very low, uh, but still, you know, there are people with side effects and, and it's, it's, yeah. it's a little bit puzzling because yeah. it's, um, it's so similar to, I mean, it's the same as what your body has been seeing, right? Yeah. But, but don't forget that they're synthetics and that they're fragments of proteins, right? Like I don't tolerate thymosin beta four or CJC and epimerala. Mm. I have histamine responses to all of those. Yeah. So, and I see that a lot. Like, I, you know, I, that, that Facebook group that I run is now over 14,000 people in there. And it's not that it's the overwhelming majority of people, but it is not uncommon. If people are going to have an, a histamine response to a peptide, most of the time it's going to be a growth hormone secretagogue or um, TB4. There's a fragment of TB4 that actually has a negative impact on, on mast cells. Mm -hmm. So people with mast cell issues are autumn. They're like, it triggers them. What about for peptides like semaglutide? Um, I mean, that's a naturally, also naturally occurring peptide, correct? Yeah. So my understanding on semaglutide is what um, Novo, what's the name of the drug company that, that just put it out as Ozempic? Novos Pharmaceutical or anyway, I don't remember the name of it. So it's, it, it's sold as a drug, as an FDA approved right. drug called Ozempic. And my understanding is what they did is they took a, they took a naturally occurring substance in our gut, but what they did is they extended its half-life mm. so that, you know, so in, in, when it, when it's secreted in the gut, it's there and then it's gone very shortly thereafter when you take the drug, it's act, it's half-life is much, much longer in the system. Mm -hmm. So it's acting on that GLP-1 receptor in a way that just keeps triggering all those mechanisms, not to mention the fact that it's having an effect on the reward centers in the brain so that you're just not quite as, you're not quite as driven to eat food, right? Mm -hmm. Or those snacks that you used to think that you loved. Um, it's really good at, helping the body to make an appropriate amount of insulin when you're taking in sugar. It slows down the gastric emptying so that you feel fuller longer. The dark side of that is many, many people get constipated on it and many people may get nauseous as well. Mm -hmm. um, then you get an improvement in blood sugar control, mm -hmm. right? So, which is an improvement in insulin sensitivity, which is like, I mean, this stuff is pretty magical. Like what's amazing about it is it has so many health benefits mm -hmm. to the brain, to the heart, to the kidneys, to, I think even to the lungs. And then of course, just by losing excess body weight, people's inflammation is going to go down. They're going to feel better. They're going to have more energy. I think, you know, like this is an, it's an amazing compound. I think the biggest problem with it is, and, and again, I've seen this is when you when you give someone something like semaglutide and it dramatically reduces their appetite and it helps them to drop weight if you don't give them the coaching on what to eat so that you make sure that they're getting their protein they're getting their micronutrients that they need and that they're not eating a bunch of junk and that they build new eating habits and that as soon as they start to feel you know, they've dropped some weight, you get them moving and they start exercising and they start building lean mass. If all of those things don't happen at the same time, you end up with a person who loses a bunch of weight, doesn't exercise, doesn't eat properly, loses their lean mass, doesn't change their eating habits or their lifestyle. They come off the semaglutide, whether it's in six months, a year or two years, mm -hmm. they go right back to their old habits and guess what's going to happen? <laughs> yeah. 
you know, the weight's going to come back with a vengeance because now they've lost lean mass on top of everything else. Mm-hmm. And it's not that seven glutide makes you lose lean mass, but if you're not eating protein and you're not exercising and you're not eating enough to begin with, your body's not going to keep the muscle around. It doesn't right. need it. Okay. Which came to my, the, the, the other question I have is what can a person do to maximize the, maximize the benefit of the peptides? So you yeah. kind of answered yeah. <laughs> basically yeah. everything that you should do to obtain good health. Yeah. Like you have to, you, you've got to do the work, right? Like the, the, the challenge with semaglutide and now terzepatide, which is, you know, the more recent one that's possibly even better than semaglutide is that they make it, they make it so easy that people are like, Oh, this is like, this is the closest thing to a silver bullet in weight loss that has ever come out. Right. Plus it has health benefits, but if people don't do if people aren't guided and coached to still do the work, it becomes a double-edged sword and it, it, it will turn around and bite you. Like it's mm-hmm. unfortunate, but it will, you know, it, it's, and then you get newspaper. Like, I don't know if you saw it in the media, some celebrity used, you know, was given Ozempic by her doctor and then she stopped using it. And then she started binge eating and she regained two twice as much weight. And it's so, this stuff is so horrible. And I'm like, no, it's oh. not so horrible. It's just that, <laughs> you know, you just, you just, it's, it's not a get out of jail free card. <laughs> like, yeah. So for something like semaglutide, how long should a person take it? Like it, it, it regulates your blood sugar metabolism and does it correct it? That does it have any long lasting effects after you finish the course? You lost all the weight you need to yeah. lose. And then what? It's a good question. And I'm not sure anybody really has the answer. So I don't think it particularly fixes anything. I think, you know, and then you have the other issue, which again is also a big question mark is you have that set point in the brain of where your body weight should be. Mm-hmm. So what I've seen happen is people kind of start to wean themselves off. Right. And then they, and by, to do that, what they do is they reduce the dose, they reduce the dose. And then they kind of find that baby dose that allows them to stay where they need to be. Mm. And depending on the individual, they might, they might stop it. But again, like at that point, it's just like, you know, it's like you take the training wheels off the bike. (laughs) Now you just, you got to like, kind of watch your, watch yourself and just lean into all these great new habits that you formed. And then what'll happen sometimes is people will, after three, four, five, or six months, they're like, ah, you know, I've got five pounds came back on. So they might do like another four week or six week cycle and course correct. Right. Um, So I think that question is a really good one. And I think it's one that's being addressed by many of the physicians and practitioners who are working with their clients. And it probably just depends on the person. It depends how insulin resistant they were to be, were to begin with, Mm. you know, like for some people, it's going to take upwards of a year for them to get to that body weight that they want to be at. Mm -hmm. So, which is the good thing about that is a year is a long time for you to kind of really create those habits and build that lifestyle. That's going to lead to long-term success. Yeah. Well, I do have patients who swear that they are doing everything they can. They cannot eat any healthier. I'm I'm sure anything can be improved upon, but if they do have this insulin uh, or sugar metabolism, you know, abnormalities that semaglutide can help correct. I'm just wondering, you know, if the correction, 
how long lasting it is, but yeah, I don't know if anyone's done any research to see if it actually corrected it like for, for the long run. Yeah. I don't think I've seen that research yet. It might be around, but I haven't seen it. I think that, you know, when I, I interviewed someone on, we did, did a podcast just on Ter's Appetite. You may have listened to it. And he said, look, we, like you, you know, he's also a medical practitioner. He goes, I get people coming into my office. They're eating well, they're exercising, they're sleeping, they're doing all the things and the body will just not release the extra weight. And you bring something like this on board and it's, I mean, it's a gift, right? Because you have a person in front of you who's doing everything they possibly can and yeah. they just can't move the needle. Oh it's kind thought, of heartbreaking. I know. And it's amazing. I've got people who are just thrilled with no effort, you know, within, you know, a couple of months, 30 pounds, you know, 16 pounds. I mean, just pretty much effortlessly. And it's yeah. just, yeah, yeah. I yeah. Mean, there's, no, it's, nothing, there's been nothing like it. <laughs> and I think there'll be more, you know, I think there will be others that come down the pipes. Like they've kind of, it's, you know, it's like a miner has hit in a mine, they've hit a vein of gold and they're like, <laughs> oh my God, this is amazing. And look at this one and look at that. And That's I think, that, you know, that whole sector is going to kind of expand and grow. And I, I think it's really encouraging. It's, it's it, just, people have to be smart. You know, yeah, they just yeah. they they just have to be wise. And and the other the other caution I think with semaglutide and terzepatide is because it can be a challenge to the pancreas. And we've seen, you know, some people can develop pancreatitis from these peptides. That's one of the that is one of the very few side effects. Mm-hmm. Um, I really recommend my clients don't drink or minimally consume alcohol. Like you don't want to do anything that's going to challenge. Your pan- put more pressure on the pancreas. And sometimes, you know, I think it might be a good idea to do a BPC, to take some BPC 157 at the same time, because it protects the organs, right? Mm-hmm. That's body protective yeah. compound, or maybe use a peptide bioregulator and help give that signal to the pancreas now that it's kind of, you know, working more efficiently. And maybe there's been damage over the years to help it to regenerate a little bit as you're doing the work. So, mm-hmm you know, it's again, it's pulling from different places and saying, what else can we do to help the body to your point that maybe has been stuck in some unhealthy patterns for a while, maybe Mm -hmm. give some help to the liver and the pancreas, like that whole digestive system work on the microbiome. Right. Right. That's another one. There's no peptide that's going to fix your microbiome. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Those are just, uh, you know, whole new critters that we have to you either have them or you not have them. They're either either healthy or not healthy in your body. So you have to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I want to ask you what what are okay? What are your favorite bioregulators and favorite you know other peptides? Um. So my favorite bio. So I you know I should say that I've taken them all because I'm in a clinical trial and you know I'm I'm working on reducing that biological age. So mm-hmm. I cycle through all the bioregulators month to month to month. Um, but I, you know, and people have asked me, and so I would say my, my desert Island bioregulator, if I only can have one, it would be the Epitalon. Okay. Um, if I could have two, I would probably pick Epitalon with the thymus bioregulator. Cause then it would be the pineal gland and the thymus gland. So immunity and pineal. And then if I only had three, then I would probably add the blood vessel bioregulator, but that's me. Right. I think I think Epitalon should be and Epitalon is 
the central pillar of almost every protocol, as well as the blood vessel bioregulator. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is blood vessel, if you think about it, if you don't have good circulation, you're not going to get nutrients to the cell. You're not going to get waste products out of the cell. It kind of makes sense that it would be an anchor. But after that, it kind of depends. Like if a person has liver issues or heart issues or, you know, or I, there's actually, there's another one called Cartilax, which is a cartilage bioregulator. But what it does is it upregulates the production of collagen and elastin. Well, you know, I'm at a point where my bones, you know, are going to be under, under pressure. So I'm going to use Cartilax to help because healthy bones are flexible, right? And also I'd like my skin to have access to collagen and elastin. Thank you very much. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's a little bit like being asked, what's your favorite child? You're kind of like, well, you know, I kind of can't pick a favorite, but you know, push comes to shove, epitalon, thymus and, and blood vessel would be the three. And then on the peptide side, I, you know, I'm a bit limited because I can't use TB4 or CJC epimorelin. I think if I could, they would be at the top of the list. But BPC-157 for me, because it's so versatile and it does so many things, mm-hmm. if, it, if, I, if I could only have one peptide, it would be that one. Mm-hmm. And then I think the next one, I don't know, maybe it could be thymus and alpha-1 or it could be GHK. It's kind of hard to decide between the two of those. Yeah. GHK is almost a bioregulator. It's, it's borderline, right? It's only three amino acids. It acts on the, on the DNA. It does like all these different things. Like, you know, it, it even has brain benefits. It's mm-hmm. right. It's yeah. it, if you have an injury, it helps with, to reduce scarring. It's like good for skin. It's, yeah. it's just, it's a little bit nutty. All the things that that little tiny peptide can do. Yeah. And I want to ask you, how long should you take, you know, let's say uh, Epitalon, I know it's studied, you know, the, the, the treatment course is 15 days, twice a year, right? That's, that's the common regimen. What would you, how would you dose this yeah. peptide? The way to use bioregulators varies from person to person based on their goals, right? So let's say you have a 30 or 35 year old person that comes to you and says, look, I, you know, I want to get started on my longevity plan. And so in that case, you might say, yeah, you know what, let's, let's look at a pitalon. We'll do two cycles a year. Um, if you're using the oral, you might do 30 days of the oral bioregulator twice, once or twice a year. You have a 50 year old that comes in and you might do their telomere testing and find out that their telomeres are really quite short for someone their age. Well, what you might do then is you might start with a 30 day course of that Epitalon, and then you might pulse it 10 days a month for another three hmm. to six months after that. And you typically the bioregulators are used in stacks or in groups. They're rarely used on their own. So you'll always, you'll always see like groups of bioregulators and they kind of make sense, right? Um, if you have someone who you know, they're, they've got cortisol issues or whatever the case may be. And you're like, oh, you know, those adrenal glands, they probably could use some help. You're going to, you're going to support the adrenals, but you're probably also going to support the thyroid gland because the thyroid's probably dragging its butt at the same time. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I, to me, what I like to do is, is I like to help people to think about what are all the systems and this is where physicians really shine because you guys like, cause, cause physicians understand, oh, you've got a bone density issue. Well, we're going to look at parathyroid because there's a parathyroid bioregulator. 
we're going to look at the kidneys too, because kidneys have some, you know, if the kidneys are compromised and, and the mineral balance in the body is off, um, and then there's the cartilage. So, so you, you kind of sit there and you start to think about what are all the different, and, and, that's, and this is the invitation, is to think about the body as a whole, right? And not to just say, oh, the heart needs help. We're going to do the heart bioregulator. We're going to think about the whole system and where we can bring assistance to it. Hmm. So, I mean, you asked about the cycles. So it really depends, number one, if you're doing this preventatively, like the person has no issues and you're just saying we're getting started early on our longevity plan. So we might do one or two cycles a year. Or if we have a person in front of us who really has some some imbalances. And so now we're going to say, okay, we might start with a 30 or 20 day, let's say, loading period. And then we might do 10 days a month for a period of time while we're also supporting that issue in all the other ways that we know how. Okay. So I think I heard you interviewed um, or the, the John Francois. <laughs> yeah. Tremblay, yeah. Right? You interviewed him a lot. I think he was the one that was saying that, yeah, you only need to do it once every six months because it changes the DNA. And, and, um, and once the DNA is fixed, then you don't need to do anything with the cells anymore. You it know, doesn't change the DNA. It, it, it I, I'm not going to agree with that statement. <laughs> Look at me disagreeing with Jean-Francois. I, I don't think it changes the DNA. What it does is it signal, it gives the DNA the signal to do, to do something for a period of time. And so if it's upregulating those proteins and those proteins are being put to use, when you stop using the bioregulator, you have the benefit of whatever improvements have been made, but that signal is now gone. So if you want more work, and Professor Kevinson speaks to a 42% biological reserve in every organism. And so it's almost like this untapped potential that we all have. And so what the bioregulator does is it taps into that potential for the repair work. Because don't forget that the bioregulator is only looking to, like you're not going to become a superhuman by using bioregulators. You're just going to become the best version of yourself that you can be. Mm-hmm. Mm. It, it's a bit of an, it's, it's a nuance, right? It's not, it's not, if you keep taking the heart bioregulator, you're not going to have a super duper heart. It's just going to restore your heart to hopefully over time within reason, it's going to restore function to the heart. Okay. Well, that, that helps. That helps. So people who are a little sicker, who needs more repair work, um, something like the app, you know, Epidolon, then we can actually dose them more frequently. Exactly. Like you can, you can dose them more frequently. You might, you know, and the other, the other big thing that happened with the bioregulators is for years, people were walking around saying you need 10 milligrams a day mm. for a hundred days or 10 days of, of the injectable Epidolon, which actually was a confusion that happened. The 10 milligrams a day injections that they were doing in Russia were of the one we talked about earlier. It was that biological extract that we actually don't get here. It's that intramuscular one. When it comes to the three, like the four amino acid chain of Epidolon and it's the synthetic one, we're talking for, for just maintenance, for maintenance dose, you're looking at maybe a hundred micrograms a day. You could use more. There's never been a problem with people using more. And so sometimes you have someone who's an insomniac or they have major sleep issues, whatever the case may be, you might use one or two milligrams a day for 20 days. 
but you only need a hundred micrograms. Yeah. Have they done any studies on reversing biological age from any of these bioregulators? So there's a big clinical trial going on right now. Um, it's with I'm mean, one of my podcast guests, actually, I don't know if you got back that far. This is, if you go back to episodes 42 and 46 of the podcast, I interviewed a gentleman by the name of Bill Lawrence. And so he's running, that's the clinical trial I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, he's yeah, running. I remember clinical, he's very interesting to listen to. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, he's fantastic. And so he's been running this clinical trial now, I think for probably four years and he's, they've literally shown that people they've lengthened telomeres and people's biological age, like their DNA methylation status has dramatically improved. Now the DNA methylation takes longer to shift than the telomeres. Is it a pitalon that he was using? He's using all of them. Oh, all of them. Okay. He's using them all. So, you know, when I got my, my program from Bill, it was, it was seven to nine different bioregulators every single month for 10 days a month. So I would do three, three and three or three, three and two, whatever the case may be. And this is all by mouth. Yeah. So he's using, he's using the oral bioregulators in his study. Yeah. Wonderful. Maybe I should be part of the study. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to join the study, let me know. I can maybe Uh introduce you. (laughs) Okay. That'll be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, and, and, and when it comes to, um, these peptides, do you think by ingesting, uh, or injecting some of these peptides, that's going to in any way reduce your body's own production of them? Is that, is there any chance of that? I don't think so. You know, I don't, I mean, I don't really, you know, it's not, I, I don't have a study here to show you or a lab report to say, nope, we can say, um, you know, the, the beauty of these things, it's not like there's a negative feedback loop, right? Mm-hmm. I think where we see that kind of thing happening is like, for example, with exogenous growth hormone or mm-hmm. testosterone, these are, these are hormones that the body has a negative feedback loop built in that says when your testosterone is high enough, you're, there, there's a signal to the brain and the brain's like, okay, shut it, you know, tells the testes, we're good, we got enough. Or growth hormone is the same thing. And so when we bring in growth hormone or testosterone from the outside, we can depress our own production. With epitalon and, and or even BPC-157, I think at this point, it's, it's a situation where your body has what it has and you're just introducing uh, a compound for a purpose to move the needle a little further. But I don't, I don't, I've never read or seen anything that would imply that we make less because we're taking it from the yeah. outside. Yeah, that's great. So I was thinking, um, you know, my thoughts when I, you know, finally kind of grasped um, the, the, the vast <laughs> and the, uh, you know, the, the, the cutting edge world of peptides my thought was that if there's no objections from the powers to be, and there's, you know, and there's no fighting back about, you know, utilizing these peptides, I think the peptides could end up replacing probably over 70% of the medications that we're using these days. It'll reduce the use, right? Yeah. Like, I think, I think what'll happen, it's not that they'll like, they'll, they'll always be a place for some medications in some cases, like we talked about earlier, but what if you could help people not to get sick in the first place? Right. Right. 
what if you could help an injury to heal so that there's not the degeneration in the joint that follows from a long-term injury? Like, I think, I think those are the, those are the really enticing. And what if you could avoid someone becoming a full-blown diabetic by helping them to lose weight by using something like semaglutide? Like, I think that it's, it, and you know, and for like from a, from a regulatory and a political perspective, it it gets really complicated and and very muddy as to why people are making the rules that they're making sometimes. Mm-hmm. But we have to hope that the desire for humanity to be healthier and just better off is going to prevail. And we're going to see regulatory bodies allow the use of these things because unfortunately, the last couple of years haven't been good for peptides. We've seen things pulled off the market that mm. for no good reason, other than then maybe that they work too well. Mm. Um, Which ones are you talking about? So thymosin alpha one, you'd be okay. hard pressed okay. to find a compounding pharmacy that could make it. Okay. Um, thymosin beta four mm. is another one. I think that compounding pharmacies can't make anymore. And it's, they've, they've classified it as a biologic. Um, and I think that's really unfortunate because I can tell you that in the community that I run, we have people who are down to their last options. Mm. You know, conventional medicine wasn't able to help them. And it's only by them becoming their own health sleuths that they, you know, like you get these people who get really sick and they have, they're not getting any answers. They're not getting any help. And they start digging into the literature. They find these solutions. They apply to them to, to themselves. And they sometimes get really incredible results. Yeah. And so, yeah, actually, before we wrap up, we actually want to ask you from your own experience of talking to so many people and then, you know, doing consultations with so many people, what kind of interesting results have you seen from either bioregular peptides or just other peptides? So, um, you know, I mean, on the bioregulator front, like I said to you before, like I've said, so we talked about the postmenopausal woman who had breakthrough bleeding, but the flip side of that, I've seen cycling women who had lost their cycle for whatever reason, who brought on Epitalon and the ovarian bioregulator and restored their cycle, mm. right? So, or it can help with fertility, not because it makes you more fertile, but if it starts to help to your body to rebalance its hormones, then all of a sudden, and they're still doing all the other work, let's not forget, you know, they're doing all the other things, they're managing their stress, they may be also using adrenals. Um, with thymosin alpha one, like, I mean, we've seen people with crazy autoimmune issues just help to stabilize their immune systems. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, and just be able to live a normal life. I'm mean, there's one woman in our community. I mean, unfortunately she's re-injured herself right now, but she had a spinal leak because of a medical error. And so, you know, so she was essentially horizontal for two years. Mm. Like she literally couldn't sit up. And it was by using, I think it was GHK and thymosin beta four um, mm. that helped. And it, and the thing is, so here's the thing, right? So there was a medical error made. They used too big a gauge of a needle when they were doing, they were taking some cerebral uh, spinal fluid to test her for something. What they didn't know is that she had a condition called EDS, which is Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So her body doesn't make collagen properly. Mm-hmm. And so- the, that puncture, which shouldn't have been that big in the first place, couldn't heal. Mm. And when they tried to patch it, it didn't stick. Like it just, it's, it was one thing after the other, right? And she was able to restore her mobility and reclaim her life 
hmm. by using GHK and thymosin beta-4, and I think a couple of other peptides. Unfortunately, I just heard from her two weeks ago, she slipped and fell on the ice. It reopened her, oh, no. her leak. And okay. so now she's kind of back to square one again. But this is a person who, unfortunately, like the, the conventional medical world had nothing for her. She actually mm -hmm. sits on a board with a bunch of researchers and doctors who specialize in this condition. And I'm like, well, they must be fascinated to hear your story. And they're like, no, they blow me off. They don't want to hear what I have to say. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, that's a common story, which I don't understand. You know, the 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 intellectual curiosity and also the the drive to heal. I mean, that should be those two combined. I mean, that's what every doctor should have, right? The drive to heal and some intellectual curiosity. Well, I the mean, curiosity is a big one. That's that's the thing I think that somehow maybe it just gets crushed out of doctors in med school or somewhere along or they, you know, I mean, I think there's some people who are naturally curious and others who aren't. And I think the doctors that are doing the most amazing work in this space are people like you who are just curious and like, well, what do you mean? There's this, what are you talking about? And, you know, and then like, tell me more. It doesn't mean you're going to buy into everything, mm -hmm. but it's going to lead you down that road of doing your work and your homework and, and investigating and saying, is there a way for me to apply this with my patients? And, and as long as it's safe, I'm, you know, I'm all in kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. I love that story. That's amazing. The, the, the spinal membrane basically being patched up. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, so it, it's giving the body those, it's helping the body to do something. Now yeah. we'll see if she's able to fix it. I mean, I'm I've got my fingers and toes crossed for her. I really yeah. hope that, that she's able to get back on her feet again. But anyway, so those are a couple of the standout, you know, but, but we've seen, you know, certainly people with severe um, gut issues like Crohn's and colitis mm. um, again, using the peptides as part of their program. Like they've got to change their diet. They've got to address the microbiome. Like they have to do so many things, but though like just BPC-157 with KPV and lorazetide, like I can put those guys right into remission if, mm. if they get the right guidance and they're doing the work. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. So what is that, um, the discount code that you were going to share with people? <laughs> oh, which one? Oh, for profound health? For, for the, for the bioregulator peptides. Yeah. Yeah. So for, for found health, health, that's um, it's longevity 15 is on, it'll be good on your first order. And then after that, they'll, they'll send you some little coupons and things that you can use. So they'll keep you, they'll take care of you after your first time. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Profoundhealth.com. Yeah. So it's profound-health.com is the website. Um, yeah. I mean, that's my favorite place to get my bioregulators because they're very professional. They're in the UK, but they also have a direct, they have a straight line to the man himself. So if, um, you know, if there's ever any questions or anything, they're pretty well equipped to answer. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. I'm sure this has been a uh, a fascinating, fascinating listen to, uh, you know, for a lot of people. And I certainly enjoyed it. And uh, where can people find you and follow you? Okay. Thank you, Joy. Um, so, so you can find me on, well, on the podcast, Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. There is the Facebook group, the Optimizing Superhuman Performance, um, Optimizing Superhuman Performance group, although it's getting really crazy in there these days. Um, I've started a new community on Mighty Networks. 
um, called BSP Community. And the best place for people to learn about that is on my website, which is natnidham.com. Mm. And um, it's not it's not free like Facebook, but it's smaller, it's more intimate. And I'm we're doing really great stuff in there. We're bringing in experts to do live Q and A's with people. We're doing N of one experiments right now. We're doing something with day and good now with, from Prodrome sciences, people are doing a brain and metabolic reset for 30 days. So we get to do a lot more hands-on fun things. I do live Q and A's in there once a month, like a couple of times a month. So I think it's a better community. It costs people a couple of dollars to be a member, but it's not quite as kooky as the Facebook group, which is which is fantastic, but it's really busy. Sounds like you've lost control. <laughs> um, I haven't quite lost control, but it's, you know, it's it's uh it's it's 14,000 people is a lot of people. It took on a life of its own. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm I'm very grateful for it though, because we learn a lot together, you know, yeah. and it's a, it's it's a very vibrant community, I will say this, like very mm-hmm very happening. It's just, you got to, you know, I I'm in there every single day, but uh, other people find they have to go in in small doses sometimes. <laughs> yeah, this is amazing. Thank you so much. You know, I I've started using peptides um, in conjunction with stem cell therapy amazing. because I, I realize that there's so many people with so many targeted problems. And mm-hmm. if I can give them extra dose of something just for that problem, I'm going to enhance their healing, you know, much more effectively. So I love having extra tools and, uh, and that's another rabbit hole, you know, peptides, bioregulators. So it's it's super fun. Yeah. So I can't wait to have you on the podcast and talk about stem cells. So I think uh, that'll, that'll be the the next, our next conversation. (laughs) Yeah. I can't wait. Okay. All right, Natalie, it's been really great. And thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and, um, and, um, And I hope people find this really helpful. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode. Hope you enjoyed the content. And if so, please rate and follow this podcast. To reach me, you can contact Uplift Longevity Center. That is Uplift with a Y. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Joy Kong MD. See you next time.